Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. First up this week, Pope Francis has made it clear that he's paying attention to the divide in the U.S. Church, particularly over the USCCB president's statement on the inauguration of Joe Biden. We'll talk about what Francis has been briefed on and what he thinks of the U.S. Church right now. After that, we'll look at the role that Cardinal Charles Mongbo is playing in Myanmar after a military coup in that country this week. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a rather gray sky over Rome, but uh, we're in the yellow zone. If you remember last week, I told you we were in the orange zone. Now we're in the yellow zone, which means the restaurants and bars are open until six o'clock. Fantastic. So, Jerry, let's uh, let's get right into this week's news then. Uh, Remember, last week, we unpacked this controversial statement from the president of the U.S. Bishops Conference on the occasion of Joe Biden's inauguration. Uh, for our listeners, in case you want a recap, uh, Vatican officials reacted negatively to this statement and may even have intervened to delay its release because they saw it as being confrontational towards the new president. And Jerry, you reported this weekend that they had also taken issue with the USCCB debating barring Joe Biden from communion, right? We also learned from some new reporting this past week that that commission that was debating uh, the Eucharistic coherence, basically whether Biden could receive communion, uh, that that group had been, one, meeting in secret, and two, that the group did not include Biden's two local pastors, right? It didn't include Wilton Gregory in D.C., and it didn't include Biden's bishop from Delaware. Yes, the Vatican knew this, that Bishop Maluli, I think, is the bishop of Wilmington in Delaware, Mm -hmm. and Cardinal Gregory, are not part of this commission. And this is very strange, because normally the responsibility for the pastoral care is in the hands of the bishop who is pastor of the diocese where the person is living. This is a very curious way of going about uh, finding an approach to the new administration. Now, our big news this week is that Pope Francis has now kind of made clear in a couple different ways that he has his eye on this situation. Uh, First is that he met publicly with Chicago Cardinal Blaise Supich, who had— had issued his own statement in response to Gomez's statement. He he brought up issues with how the statement came together, which we talked a little about last week. Um, Jerry, what do we know about Pope Francis's meeting with Cardinal Supich? We know very little except the fact that it happened. But what we do know is that in the past, when the Cardinal from Chicago came to Rome, many times he met with the Pope, but in Santa Marta, the Vatican guest house where the Pope lives, in private. There was no communication to the outside world. Uh, This time, however, the Pope decided that he would meet uh, Cardinal Supic in the 
private library of the Apostolic Palace. That's the library where he meets heads of state, distinguished leaders. And why is that significant? Well, it's it's very public. So it means that the, the Pope wanted it to be known that he was meeting this person. The Vatican Bulletin, which is given to the press, the, in other words, the press briefing, it carried his name and said the Pope this morning met uh, Cardinal uh, Supic from uh, Chicago. Uh, so the Pope wanted it known that he had met him. Right. Now, there were no details released about the content of their conversation. But Francis does want us to know, right, that he's that he's paying attention. Um, and Jerry, you had actually also done some reporting this past week on what aspects of the USCCB situation Francis had been briefed on. So what did your sources say that Francis has been paying attention to? Yes, uh, I, I have learned from senior Vatican officials that the Pope has been fully briefed on everything that happened at the time of the inauguration, at the uh, the question of the statement. And he knew then who came out strongly in support of it and who said, well, this is not the procedure. And this was the case of Cardinal Supic. Some, of course, including some who had been involved in the writing of it, I understand, uh, came out supporting strongly the statement by Archbishop Gomez. And uh, some... Uh, we're questioning it. And so what it revealed is that there is not unanimity within the conference on that approach. Right. And that actually brings me right into the next thing I wanted to talk with you about, which is uh, this political divide in the church is actually something that Pope Francis discussed yesterday on February 1st in a meeting with some of our colleagues from Catholic News Service. CNS was celebrating its 100th anniversary, and so they had a chance to sit down with the Pope and ask him some questions. And one of the things they asked about was this division in the American church. Could you sum up what Francis had to say about this? Well, the, they raised the question, first of all, about the Catholic journalists, how, how they're dealing with it and what it need to say. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, you know, journalists have got to not throw kerosene on the fire one way or other. Francis is well aware of how the different Catholic media are actually playing a role, a significant role, and sometimes a disturbing role in, in, in the life of the church in the United States. He says, we have to work for the unity of the church, not for the division. Right. He says, remember the prayer of Jesus that they may all be one, unity that is not uniformity, unity with differences but one heart. And then he was asked about these these conservative or traditionalist groups that have sway in the U.S. church, and, and he kind of brushed it off. He said they're traditional groups in the U.S., but there also are in the Vatican. Oh, yes, he's well aware of this, but he, and he is well aware of the, of the United States. But what he said, you know, we have to have one heart. We have to recognize that there can be diversity, not uniformity, diversity. And the unity that Jesus envisaged is a unity in which there is diversity. Yeah, certainly. And this was a very important point. He could have answered the question about what he thought of the American church. He could have answered it in a thousand ways. And he... he I think rather skillfully, rather uh, tactfully, he he avoided going into the heart of the controversial issues of the moment. But he he went to the broadest picture and said, uh, you know, we we should have one heart. We work for unity. And then he moved on to speak about immigration. Right. He actually went out of his way to praise Bishop Gomez and Bishop Mark Seitz of El Paso for their work on immigration. They're both border bishops. Uh, And it's interesting, you know, we were just talking about how 
Francis made it very clear that he'd been paying attention to this whole controversy around the Gomez statement. So it seemed like kind of a an interesting choice for him to then go out of his way to to praise Gomez and to praise Seitz, who is often, you know, on the other end of the political spectrum than Gomez. Remember, this is a pope who is the son of immigrants. Never forget that. And his first major visit outside the Vatican was to Lampedusa to throw a wreath in the sea for all those who have died in, in the Mediterranean. Yeah, that's really important for not just the U.S. church, but for the United States, right, where we are a country of immigrants. And that's a, a vital part of the American identity. And here's Francis saying, OK, I'm going to redirect the conversation from you know, this division to something that I know unites all of you. I'm going to specifically highlight the work of two bishops who are, you know, sometimes at odds. And and he's really, he's pushing them towards unity by drawing their attention to the poor, to those on the margins. I thought, I thought that was a really clever decision. Look, Colleen, I've seen him in different countries saying, let us concentrate on the things we agree on. Mm-hmm. Let us collaborate on that. Let us build trust with each other around that issue. And then we can come to the more problematic issues later. Yeah. You know, Jerry, I just want to wrap this up with with one final positive point. Uh, This is how Catholic News Service ended their story about the meeting. They quoted Francis saying, I know you know its defects better than I do, but I look at the U.S. church with hope. Uh, So if our listeners want to read more about all of this, about the uh, controversy about the statement. I'll link to our episode from last week, and I'll also link to Jerry's coverage of Pope Francis's meeting with Cardinal Supich and the Catholic News Service story on their meeting. It was a much more wide-ranging conversation than we've been able to get into here, so recommend checking that out. Myanmar's military leaders are laying out conditions for a return to quasi-democratic rule after seizing power in a coup. In Myanmar, the armed forces have seized power and detained the country's leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, and other democratically elected figures. Troops are patrolling the streets and a nighttime curfew is in force along with a one-year state of emergency. Myanmar today was supposed to be a step toward democracy when the parliament began a new session. Instead, the military launched a coup and a Nobel laureate is now back in jail. For our second story this week, yesterday on February the 1st, Myanmar's military overtook the government and arrested de facto government leader Aung San Suu Kyi. Uh, They alleged that her democratic election in November had been plagued by fraud, and experts say that there is no evidence of fraud. Uh, Suki still enjoys widespread popularity there, but she's viewed also with suspicion around the world for not doing enough to stop the ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya Muslim in this majority Buddhist country. Now, we're talking about this this week because on January 25th, as the coup appeared imminent, Cardinal Charles Mungbo, who is the Archbishop of Yangon, Myanmar, He issued an urgent plea to Suu Kyi and her democratically elected government and to military and ethnic leaders appealing to all of them to not try to solve the nation's problems through military force. And he addressed a whole bunch of things in this letter. But Jerry, what were some of the the main things that he asked the new government for? Well, first of all, he congratulated the new government on this election. He he wasn't buying into the the, uh, story that the military were uh, trying to peddle that uh, the, the, the election had been stolen, there was fraud. He, he wasn't buying that. The election was actually won by quite a large margin in favor of Suu Kyi. They had 80, more than 80% of the, of, of the voters supported uh, uh, Aung San Suu Kyi and they, her, her 
National League for Democracy. Mm -hmm. Secondly, he was saying, you know, our history has taught us that military solutions do not resolve the problems of this country. He was, it was very clear. Then he was saying, we have to work for peace. We have, he said, we've got a pandemic. We've got a major problem. We've got people who are starving. It's a poor country. And so he was saying, we've got to address these these problems. Uh, we've got to work together to find solutions for these people. And then he was saying, let, let us get together, let us negotiate, let, let us work out peacefully, nonviolently a solution. Remember, Aung San Suu Kyi has always been a prophet of nonviolence. From She took like the Gandhi approach to problems. And even today when she was as she was she was preparing for prison, she knew she was going to get arrested. She wrote a letter and she said she wanted her people to to come out and protest, not accept the military dictatorship, but she didn't want them to use violence. Mm-hmm. Uh Cardinal Bo also called for the elimination of ethnic discrimination, which has obviously been a major issue in Myanmar. We've seen, you know, this massive exodus of Rohingya Muslims, the burning of their villages uh, in the Rakhine area. And Suchi has been criticized before for for not standing up for the Rohingya, for actually collaborating with the government and defending them in some ways. Um, so, how do you how do you read Cardinal Bo's call for the elimination of ethnic discrimination here? First of all, remember Cardinal Bo is very close to Aung San Suu Kyi. Mm-hmm. She, in her heart, wants to resolve this. She's Burmese. The majority of the Burmese people don't re- relate well to the Rohingyas. And the military, when the military decide to go in, because among the Rohingya there was some, also some uh, military resistance, the military used that to go in and use military force. She, she couldn't stop it. There was nothing. She had no power to stop them going in. What people criticized her for is when she went to the International Court of Justice in The Hague and defended she didn't actually defend the military. She defended the action that uh, what had happened. And people criticized her for this. She tried to go the extra mile with the military so as not to provoke what has now happened, the return to military rule. Because this country since independence has practically been under the military for about 80% of the time. Jerry, I, I kind of want to zoom out here um, and and ask this question of, of strategy, which I feel like is just a question that we return to over and over, no matter what we're talking about. Um, but, you know, Cardinal Bowe's statement, he, he kept stressing how much he and the other religious leaders who he was kind of writing this letter with uh, wanted to work with the nation's civic and military and ethnic leaders on on these points that, that you mentioned. Um and I found it kind of interesting, you know, Pope Francis visited Myanmar back in 2015, in part to promote democracy there. Uh, so why would Cardinal Bo, if he if he knew that a military coup was coming, issue this message of, of wanting to collaborate with not just the democratic government, but also military leaders? Like, when I look at this, I kind of wonder if it's just another example of, of Francis's general diplomatic approach where, you know, they're favoring dialogue over confrontation. But I wonder what your take is. When Aung San Suu Kyi's father, at the end of his life, he was trying to work out solutions to the ethnic problems in the country. And he was trying to bring together the different actors. And of course, the, the military would be one of the actors, but also the armed resistance in some of the regions. She, in her five-year term, she held two or three of these really major meetings, which went over several days, uh, 
to try to resolve these ethnic questions and involving the military as well. And so what Cardinal Bo was saying was, let us continue the, down this path and really follow it through. But the military didn't want to. The point is that Cardinal Bo who's also strongly committed to nonviolence, was saying the military solution is not the way. We must proceed to negotiate and resolve these big problems. The poverty is great in the country. I remember I, I was at the meeting where, where the Pope met all the bishops of, of Myanmar, and he heard what their problems were. Let me ask you, do, do people really listen to religious leaders in Myanmar? Like, will Bo's statement be heard or will it fall on deaf ears? Bo's statement has the backing of the, the many of the Buddhists. Mm -hmm. Remember, this is a majority Buddhist country, more than 80% of the people. People are very religious in this country. Religion plays a big role in the country. Even the military, they kind of tap into it. And there are monks who, Buddhist monks who support the military, but a, a tiny fraction. So yes, religion is a big factor. And uh, Bo has stood out as, as a very ecumenical, interreligious uh, man of dialogue. The fact when he was made a cardinal, the first in the history of the country, mm -hmm. it was a big thing. The whole country rejoiced at it. And he, so it gave him, let's say, more leverage in the country. And Bo is very close to Pope Francis. He, he, Pope Francis made him cardinal. If our listeners want to learn more about the situation in Myanmar and also Cardinal Bo's involvement there uh, with these other religious leaders, you can find Jerry's story linked in the show notes and at americamagazine.org. The Vatican continues to prepare for the Pope's trip to Iraq, which is scheduled for March 5th through 8th. The Cardinal of Baghdad, Patriarch Louis Raphael Sacco, has announced that the Pope will also visit the holy city of Najaf. There he will meet privately with Ali al-Sistani, the world's most influential Shia leader. The Vatican's announcement of Pope Francis' visit to Iraq has given many Christians hope that what is left of their heritage can be preserved. But the demographic changes here are so extensive that few believe they can be reversed. Real quick before we go, uh, we've had a couple updates on the Pope's upcoming trip to Iraq that's scheduled for early March. Now, we've mentioned in past episodes that there's been a lot of doubt cast on whether the Pope would actually be able to make this visit. There are concerns about gathering crowds in the pandemic, but there's also safety concerns. Remember, just last week there was a suicide bombing in Baghdad. Uh, but now we've had some updates on whether this trip could go forward. Patriarch Sacco, who is the Chaldean Catholic Archbishop of Baghdad, has said that the trip is on. And Pope Francis told Catholic News Service in their sit-down meeting yesterday that he is set on going, even if there are no crowds, even if he had to, to take a commercial flight, he's going to do everything he can to get there. And the Vatican has also moved forward with announcing some plans for the trip, including that Pope Francis is set to meet with Grand Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani, who is Iraq's top Shiite Muslim leader. Um, now, some have speculated that the Ayatollah might sign on to the human fraternity document that Francis signed with Grand Imam al-Azhar, a top Sunni leader. Jerry, I want to ask you real quick, uh, you know, if, if this top Shiite leader, al-Sistani, signed on to this human fraternity document, what would that mean for relationships between Sunni Muslims and Shiite Muslims? Well, it's very important here to understand the significance. This is a major document because it's the first time that the Pope and a leading Islamic figure have written something together. It's a document which is, is Really, we're brothers and sisters of the one creator. 
one God. Mm-hmm. This was a big step forward from from past pontificates' relationships with Muslims, and it also ended up being the basis for Fratelli Tutti. Yes, and already we know that, uh, for example, in uh, one very big Muslim uh, Shiite scholar, because the eighty percent of the Muslims are Sunni, and about twenty percent are Shiite, mm-hmm. and. One of the big Muslim uh, Shiite scholars in, in, the, in the United Kingdom has, in fact, come out supporting this document. And if Al-Sistani, who's a very revered figure, I think he's 90 years old, if I'm not mistaken, he's very old. If he were to do it, it would be a major, it's, it's a building bridges. Because one of the tensions in the Middle East, as we see in the war in the Yemen, as we've seen also in Iraq itself, was the tension between the Shiites and the Sunnis. And if Francis can somehow help to develop the relations, it would be a major step. Francis is also doing a lot to to keep up his relationship with the Grand Imam, the Sunni leader. Uh, they're supposed to appear together on on TV on Friday or on Thursday, right? It's the anniversary of the signing of the document on. Uh, human fraternity. I, I remember I was there. I was right in front of them when they when they signed this document. It was not very far away because we we were allowed to go in, and this this really has had a major impact, and so much so that the United Nations General Assembly has approved that the fourth of February each year would be the World Day of Human Fraternity. Mm-hmm. And on this occasion, the Pope will participate in one of these uh, uh, virtual uh, conferences. And at that meeting, they will also award a big prize for a person or a community or a group who has promoted human fraternity. There's, it's a very big, uh, it's, it's really building moderation and really trying to deal with and say violence is not promoted by any of the religions, you cannot justify the killing of people from religion. Mm-hmm. Jerry, you know, on that point of violence, let me let me go back to the Iraq trip with you. Uh, obviously, there is so much risk involved in, in traveling to Iraq right now. Why is Francis so set on going? Well, Francis feels the people have suffered so much. Remember, the, the war in Iraq was in 2003, Colleen. It's almost 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and people have been displaced. The Christians have been really decimated in the country. And in his meeting with the Catholic News Service, Francis said, I am the pastor of people who are suffering. I am the pastor of people who are suffering. That's how he sees himself. And he says, I, I want to go. If my presence, my presence can give them some comfort, give them some encouragement, then I want to be there. And he doesn't say it, but the, the the subscript is, you know, I'm prepared to take the risk. There's no everybody recognizes that there are security risks, not just the COVID, but also security. But for Francis, that's not the important thing. He said many times, you know, I'm in the hands of God. God will call me when he wishes. Right. And he said this this gesture will still hold a lot of meaning for people, even if they can't gather, even if they have to watch it on TV. Francis is a big, big believer in both presence and, and the power of images and gestures. So 
I think for him, it's significant just to physically go there so that people can see him there and and take some kind of hope from that. Colin, I remember when we went to Tacloban in the Philippines and we were in the middle of, of almost a, a typhoon. Yeah, that's right. We had to leave the island b- b- before the storm hit and the plane after us w- went off the runway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just got out in time. And I remember when we went to the uh, Central African Republic where they were shooting between the, the Muslims and Christians the, the week we went in. And Francis, he, he wasn't going to be deterred. He said, I'll parachute in if I have to. Yeah, I can see there's this same determination on in him on this trip. He wants to go. The only thing he that would block him is not the security. It's the question of COVID, what it could do. But it's amazing what he says. Even if people, there are few people there, they can see me in, on television virtually, by, but they will know I'm in their country and I've come for them. I, I think it's a very powerful message. I think like any time that Francis is going into a place where where there's been a natural disaster or a war, the the images coming out of it are always so powerful and and they give people a sense that like the Pope is with them. All right. So, Jerry, in the coming weeks, you and I will talk a lot more about this Iraq trip. We'll give a lot of the background on the situation, everything that you need to know uh, before Pope Francis makes this trip. Uh, and we'll also keep you updated on on what the plans are looking like. So in the meantime, if you want to read Francis's comments on his determination to go to Iraq, you can check out the story that I'll link in the show notes. Uh, that's Catholic News Service's story about their meeting with the Pope. And Jerry, I think that does it for this week. Uh, thanks for unpacking so many, so many complex stories with us. I really appreciate the chance to talk with you about these. Well, Colleen, we see there's a church on the move, the church is going out. And I, I think it's an exciting time, in, even in the midst of the pandemic, which is paralyzing so many of us. Never in history has a Pope gone on a foreign trip in the middle of a pandemic. No, right. All right. So, uh, so we'll keep our eyes on that. And I'll look forward to talking to you next week. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance this week from Kevin Christopher Robles and from the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also email us your comments and questions at insidethevatican at americamedia.org. And if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is by subscribing to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. And thanks for supporting us. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.